1: The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow
0: brings, UnitedHealthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
1: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.
2: LMFM Podcasts. Brought to you with Cartman Cross Credit Union. Getting hitched? Carrick Credit Union likes to say I do when financing
3: your wedding loan. O'Neill Street, Carrick Carrick-McCross, or Carrick McCrossCU.ie
1: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, the Renault Selection Used Car Event is now on. If you want to save thousands, check out this month's offers, including low APR finance, two years warranty and roadside assistance. Terms and conditions apply.
2: You're very welcome to Friday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Let's get straight to business. We were contacted by a number of listeners in recent days to tell us about uh, P- Professor Patricia Casey, who was in the North East a week ago last Friday in St Mary's Church in Navan, and gave a talk and they said to us, Jerry, you really have to get Patricia onto the radio and bring this to a wider audience. The talk centred around dealing with grief. And I'm delighted to say that Professor Casey is with me this afternoon. She's Professor of Psychiatry at UCD and Consultant Psychiatrist at the Matter Hospital in Dublin. And she was a guest of ours on late lunch a few moons ago. Patricia, lovely to talk to you again this afternoon.
4: And to you, Gerry, and thank you for having me back on again.
2: Not at all. You're very welcome. Well, Patricia, I I mean this. We had a number of contacts to say, please bring Patricia on the airwaves as soon as you can. Patricia, you went there last week and you talked about dealing with grief. Now, I want to tell listeners in case they don't know. You lost your son, Gavin, yourselves to cancer back in 2017. So this is quite fresh with you
4: actually fresh it was 2018 Gavin passed away in January oh,
2: oh I'm sorry it was 18 no, not sorry at
4: all. so we're just over the first anniversary three, three months ago um, two, two and a half months ago so it's, it's very fresh um, and I decided to give the talk I had Miriam O'Callaghan had invited me onto her show On the radio uh on a sunday morning myself and my husband um before just the week before the anniversary um to speak about it and and then um father rob mccabe who's a a wonderful priest up there in Avon, he's absolutely fabulous um contacted me to know would i speak um i've met rob once or twice before and i thought this is a really genuine man so i'd be very happy to oblige and there was a very big audience, a very big congregation, I should say, and they were wonderfully receptive and um, queued at the end to talk to me and to offer their condolences. And it was a, a difficult evening in some respects, but a lovely evening also because it literally, it literally um, it, it conveyed the, the the sympathy and the wonderful sense of community that there is around grief. So, so that 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 was the, that's the background to it.
2: Yes. Now. Your grief is recent, and to lose a son is a devastation for any family. You're still coping, I take it, with this. It's just over a year on, as you say. It continues.
4: The, the grief continues, but, but I am coping. I went back to work within a week of Gavin's passing away because I felt that was the right thing to do. I didn't want to be at home um, moping and what would I be doing? I'd be crying. At least when I was at work I was distracted and I was able to continue doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, you know, one always thinks in these circumstances, what would my son have wanted? And knowing the person Gavin was, he wouldn't have wanted me to be, um, you know, hanging around at home, getting upset, upsetting everybody else. He would have wanted me um, to do it. So I, I and I think most people think about what their loved one would have wanted when they're making decisions like this. And most people um, come up with the the view that that 's what their loved one would have wanted and acted and act accordingly um so that 's what i did and um you know we we do nice things together my my husband and my other son and myself um we we all have our moments, but we do very nice things together and um we're we 're getting on with life. <laughs>
2: And getting on with life and making yourself busy is something that you decided to do. Is that, and I, I don't mean to be cold about this, is that a good strategy in a way to try and occupy your mind? Like you had your work and a very busy woman you are to go to. Other people like may, may not be as busy as you. Is it good to maybe throw yourself into something new, do something like that? What's your thoughts around that?
4: Well, it's something I've thought long and hard about because some people might say if you're too busy... You're actually avoiding it. You're keeping mm. it out of your mind. You're constantly distracted by the things you're doing at work, whether you're working as a farmer, a secretary, a doctor, whatever. Um, when you're occupied, you're not really dealing with the grief. But, of course, if, if everybody, when they were, on, uh, uh, you know, assailed by a tragedy like the loss of a loved one, if everybody did nothing, the world would grind to a halt because so many people are grief-stricken, you know, people die, you know. Mm. Um, so so I think it, it, there's a lot of individual variation in this as well. Some people just can't bring themselves to go back for a few weeks and feel they need the space to process it. In our case, Gavin had been unwell for 17 months. Um, we had guessed the, the outcome wasn't going to be good, although we Tried to keep ourselves positive, and we certainly tried to keep Gavin positive. Um, Gavin, to the day he he died, thought he was going to get well again um, because we tried all the new treatments for him, and when one didn't work, we'd go to another, and we would say, you know, Gavin, this is how it's got to be. We've got to try. We've got to try these, and we're hoping and praying that you'll get better and his friends to the very end told me that even a, about a, 10 days before he passed away he was unconscious for the last 10 days but before that happened he had actually emailed them ordering them to buy a new computer game to download a new computer game so that when he got out of hospital next he could play it with them he was he was studying computer science and he was heavily into gaming into computer gaming so, so he was positive to the end and we tried to keep ourselves positive as well I certainly did by saying we're trying new treatments they sometimes do work they often don't but they sometimes do when we have to do this we have to do the best we can for Mm. gavin so there is individual variation about it this roundabout answer to your question is that at least we have time to prepare for the possibility of death but some people don't if somebody dies suddenly if 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 god help us there's a suicide or an, an accident a road traffic accident of some sort um or, or whatever, even even as, uh, you know, death through, by murder or something. People just don't have um, the time to process the possibility of loss. And in those circumstances, it might well be that, that, that you need a month or two to just get your head around what's happened. I know when Gavin got ill, we had, we didn't, he was diagnosed in August. It took us until Christmas to really get our head around the fact of what had happened, so I think that 's all the more so if somebody dies unexpectedly and suddenly and and, and, and that pe- people need time to, to 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 think about it and yes. run over it and understand and work out what 's happened it 's called processing, and so in those circumstances, some people just can 't work mm. um, and i wouldn 't in any way pass judgment on people who who do that it's, there is so much individual um um var- variation in this
2: In what you say there, I'm just listening to you intently. There is two distincts, really. If somebody goes suddenly, there is no time when you know and you always keep hope right to the very end. But in a way, there's a path prepared for you. You're coming into the grieving process. You know, I just hear what you're saying there as well. They're quite two distinct areas. But here's something I wanted to ask you. And it's very important for people who are going through this today. With your son, who was such a brave fellow, the question of, of telling people that they're not going to get, better i know you've written about this in the context of this as well and you didn't say anything to him you never told him it never came up
4: no we we decided my husband and i and my our other son james we decided although james initially was in favor of telling gavin that the outlook wasn't good um, but ultimately when we discussed it we decided not because we knew gavin and we know he would be absolutely devastated he really would be devastated um, about that as any as anybody would. and we, we di- we, What we did decide, though, was that if he asked, we would tell him mm. honestly, but he didn't ask. So if he didn't ask, he didn't want to know. And he could have found out online. He was a student of computer science. He was into gaming for many years. He would have been able to check online. You know, he was a bright boy. So we decided if he's not asking, us he either knows or he doesn't want to know. And my belief... Um, and, and we spoke to people about this. Um, Gavin was adopted, both of our sons were adopted. We spoke to Gavin's birth father, um, with whom he had a very good relationship, as he did with his birth mother indeed. But we spoke to his birth father because he's in, you know, he, he would have been in email contact with him quite a bit. We spoke to Gavin's friends about it after he passed away. And they all said that Gavin believed he was going to get better. Mm. Uh, and so he had hope. And and. I don't think we should knowingly rob anybody of hope. Um, I don't do it with my patients. Even when I have people with very intractable psychiatric illnesses that are difficult to treat and that maybe sometimes indeed people's own behaviour is contributing to it. For example, if people have schizophrenia and they're still abusing drugs, you know, um, I would never give up hope yeah. with anybody. I would say, look, you have to give up the drugs and if you do things, will be better. But but, but that's giving somebody away, you know, that is offering hope to somebody, in my estimation, yes. anyway. Yes, yes. Um, so um, I would never say to somebody, you know, I, I have nothing more to do for you.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, you, mm-hmm. know, I, I you give me great consolation because there was one regret with my dad that we never... Faced, you know, that question, and, and we didn't till the very end. It's many years ago now at this stage, but I still remember it, and it plagued me with guilt for years afterwards that, yeah. you know, we, we knew he wasn't going to make it through, but there was never hope given up, nor he was never told. And today, like they will say to you, you should tell people.
4: Well, I think that's wrong. I do. I I feel very strongly about this based on my own experience and indeed my experience as a doctor dealing with people who have very serious illnesses that can certainly damage their lives completely and sometimes even claim their lives. But I I, I believe firmly that you have to make a a decision based on your knowledge of the individual and some people would want to know um, and they're quite explicit about that. Yeah. Um, But some people don't want to know but only go along with it because it's kind of, they believe it's the thing to do and that it's the right thing to do. I do not subscribe to that view and I would debate it with anybody.
2: Patricia, you help an awful lot of people and continue to and have over the years and here you are in a situation yourself where you're trying to deal with a great loss. Did you need to turn to anybody? You mentioned your husband and your son and your family as well. You know, people do, there are certain people who certainly need help, professional help when it comes to grieving. What, what was the greatest help to you or who was?
4: Well the best help to me were my family, but especially my colleagues at work as well in, in the in the in the in in the matter hospital in the department of psychiatry. There were there were my consultant colleagues. There was one in particular um, called Dr. John Sheehan who was absolutely superb. My own secretary Anne Maher has been has been wonderful. There's a priest friend called Father Gerard Casey, no relation I might add, but he was wonderful throughout it. And I would know I could call him especially day or night. So I had all of those people and they are just a few Mm. you know all of the staff were regularly asking me how gavin was they were looking after me minding me as it were and and if i cried um as i was talking about him as i am now they didn't get uncomfortable with it they didn't go rushing for glasses of water for me they knew that what i was going through was understandable and that they understood it and that was really a, a great help to me. So I would say to anybody, and I'm sure there are some of your listeners out there who are maybe sad at the moment going through people who are living with people who are seriously ill with cancer or other conditions um, cry and don't let anybody tell you. A phrase that drove me mad, drove me bunkers and made me annoyed, and I never said it to the people, but it really infuriated me it was people saying to me, be strong. I don't know what the hell they meant by being strong. Did they mean that I wasn't supposed to go and take overdoses? Did they mean I wasn't supposed to cry? Did they mean I wasn't supposed to talk about it? I have no idea what that meaningless phrase meant. Mm. So when people said that, I kind of shut my ears to it. And I did what what instinctively I felt was right, which was to cry about it when I felt felt I needed to, and to laugh and smile about other things when I felt able to smile mm. and laugh about things. And so I think people out there shouldn't feel constrained not to cry when they're told to be strong. They should, you know, delicately turn their back on the person and say thank you and walk away and then pull out their handkerchief and cry if they feel like it.
2: The other thing is, you know, when somebody has a loss and a great loss and then you encounter them in in, in any type of situation, it's often awkward for the person encountering the person who's been bereaved or grieving as to what to say You mentioned something there That drove you mad What is what is the, the, the best way To approach somebody like that Just to ask them how they are
4: Yes Just how are you getting I'm sorry you've been through This terrible time I can't imagine what it's like How are you I'll be thinking about you Or if you, they know you're religious I'll be praying about you You know just very simple Words like that it's very strange I I spend a lot of time um, in in London these days because I do a lot of work with the Royal College of Psychiatrists and I'm a visiting professor at another university at St Mary's in Twickenham so I spend a lot of time over there about a week every month I'm there you know. And I know lots of people there and people I know for many years through these connections and I deal with them professionally when I'm there. And they all know about GAM, but they're petrified of asking me. Mm, yeah. So so even these people that I care about and that care about me and that I like and they like me and I get on very well with them would never say, you know, how are you getting on now? Whereas in Ireland, it happens all the time. So in Ireland, we, we, we live very comfortably with death, so to speak, if that's not a, um, a contradiction. But we cope very well with it. But just simple phrases, you know, just like, you know, I'm sorry about what you've be- gone through. It it's like, um, you know, be strong, or, you know, I know what you're going through because I lost my cat recently. You know, that's not terribly helpful.
2: no 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 please don't don't go there at all this has been you know for you something that has darkened your door unexpectedly as well and even with your professional background and all you know as well you have to deal with it like every one of us do and it comes to all our doors at, at different times Do you feel now, as time passes on, because I know I've been reading about you, you you talk to your son, you talk to him as if he's still here with us, and I I take it that's a coping mechanism for you as well. Do you feel any ease moving away from the day he passed?
4: Oh, yes. Yes. There's no doubt about that.
2: The time is the healer?
4: Time is the healer. Um there, there are certain, okay, okay. B- before I, I come to that, Jerry, I just want to say, uh, some people, when I ask my patients, do you talk to your loved one when they're grief-stricken? And some of them, um, like I saw I saw a lady a few days ago, and I said, do you talk to him," And she was delighted when I asked her, and she told me what she says to him and what they talk about, and she was delighted, I asked. Mm. But other people afraid to tell me in case that i suggest they need hospitalisation yes. medication, that they're becoming unwell and psychotic. Talking to the person, um, carrying mementos of them, like you know, if somebody wore a particular piece of jewellery or maybe a little chain cross around their neck or something, all of those things can give comfort and, and, and help you to feel close to the person. And they are comforting and talking to them is comforting. So anybody who is Doing that should absolutely feel free to do it. There was a funny occasion once when I was I was over in England at the conference and I had given my talk and, and and it it was it was about last November time and it was dark at about four o'clock and I was coming out of the conference room and walking down to my accommodation and it was outside I had to cross a quadrangle to get to the accommodation and I was telling Gavin about the conference and what I had said and what it was about and I looked around and there was somebody behind me and I thought oh my god there'll be alarmed. They actually weren't and then I realised they probably think I'm talking on my mobile phone so if people think that others are going to be alarmed they won't because they'll think you're having a conversation with somebody on your mobile phone
2: Yes, I know and listen uh...
4: And I was going to answer, I'm sorry to cut across you. Jenny, no. your question about, about, about coping yes. and, and that. The one thing, and, and my profession, my professional um, training, and and that has led me to appreciate, I suppose, the difference between grief, where you're getting on with it, and that's normal, and where you need to seek professional help. I've noticed there's a tendency nowadays to constantly refer people for, for grief, for bereavement counselling. Mm. And there's actually... Firstly, at a professional level, there's no need to do that. If you're grieving normally, and by that I mean you're able to talk about the person you're able to look at pictures of them and and maybe not at the beginning of grief because the the, the early stages, the first few months can be very difficult for many people but if a few months have passed and you're able to look at the person and you're able to talk about them and talking about them to others is a great help as well if you're able to talk about them, it doesn't matter if you're still crying or not if you're getting on with your day-to-day life and beginning to feel good again and I know people feel guilty about beginning to feel good again I've been through that and Somebody, um, a, a neighbour of mine was bereaved uh, many, many years ago of a young child. I remember him saying to me, you know, when, 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 when we began to feel better, we began to feel guilty. But there's no need to, because that's a sign that you're healing. And, and I think once that's beginning to happen, you're getting on with things. You really don't need any professional help. Most people don't need professional help. It's a natural process. It's a bit like bonding with a child when you have a baby. It happens naturally. It happens naturally when you lose somebody that you'll grieve. So you don't really need any help unless there are certain um, red flags. And the red flags for people who are listening are that you can, you you know you're two or three months into the grief four months into the grief you still can't talk about the person you're you're not able to do your work because you can't concentrate you don't feel up to getting up in the morning um you you're you're not able to look at photographs of of him or her um they're the red flags but if if you can do those things despite the fact that you're still crying and you can at times have good moments then you're okay you don't need professional help and the research evidence is that actually getting professional help when you're grieving normally can actually be damaging to the grief process it's like you know a wound that's healing if you start picking at it You'll 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 call, cause it to to bleed again and to maybe fester. So so if you can use that analogy um, of 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 the wound from the loss of somebody and then you're beginning to feel better and to cope, that's the wound healing. And you don't need to go to a grief counsellor who will have to open up the whole thing again and start talking about it all again. There's no need to do that, and it's 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 dangerous to do so. And I would advise against it. Now. Having said that, as I said, occasionally people do need professional help. And some people, even the grief can turn into a depressive illness. And I certainly have people whom I've given antidepressants to who've been still grieving abnormally two years down the road and can't get on with life. That's a different ball game. That's a different, uh, a, a different area we're into at that point. But, you know, otherwise there isn't any need for professional help, provided you have somebody to talk to. If your family don't want to talk to you, that's a different matter. But once you've got family and friends who are willing to let you talk and to let you cry without necessarily coming and suggest you get help, is, um, you, don't need any, you don't need any assistance. I remember when Gavin was passing away, poor soul, he was, he was in hospital, he was unconscious. We were taking turns to be with him every night. And one day, one of the, um, and I told this story, um, um, uh, in, in Nevin last week um, <clears throat> one day one of the members of the, the um, pastoral care team came in and asked me how I was and I, was, I started to cry, I'd been reading when, she, when the person came in I started to cry and the first thing the person says, do you want to talk to somebody and and I said no, I don't. And I came. I I, I thought about it after the person left. And I thought it's very odd on two counts. First, this is a pastoral care person who should be trained to deal with people who need to talk to somebody. And secondly, it gave me the sense that that person thought it was abnormal to cry when my son was dying. You know. Yeah. And and I thought that's this is completely upside down and topsy, topsy-turvy. This isn't you know um, what what should have been said to me. The, pers- the person should have said, you know, do you want me to stay? Do you want me to talk to you, um, um, or do you want me to leave? Something like that, rather than saying, do you want to talk to yes. somebody? You know, it mm. was the wrong approach. Mm. Um, so, so very odd things like that happen when you cry for a very good reason. And if people are saying to you when you're crying and you have a loved one who is seriously and 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 dying and they want you to go for professional help, I would say decline it. Patricia, it's medicalizing grief, and, Yes, and grief isn't something that should be medicalized
2: Yes, and, and, and of course there are, it's an area that there's been a lot of work done on with, with people, and uh, educating people, professionals as well, who care for people, you know, to do this in a manner that's much more conducive uh, to being uh, not, uh, you know what I mean, cold or, or the wrong tack to take, you know what I'm saying, like you're yeah. saying there, exactly. You know, it's been fantastic to talk to you today and I can see why uh, people were so impressed with you uh, last week when you were in Avon. We've just a couple of minutes left. W- one thing I was, one thing I just want you to focus on, maybe for a moment or so, is it like how long is a piece of string when you come to grief? It, it differs for different people.
4: Well, obviously the acute, the first stage is the early months are the worst. First six months to a year are the worst. Um, after that, it gets easier a lot of people fear... Now, I'm, I'm a year and... I'm 15 months past the grief, but you can hear I'm still crying. Yes. But in five or ten minutes, Jerry, when you finish this conversation, and I'm delighted you've given me the opportunity to speak to people, because I do want to help people. Of course. This isn't about me. This is about helping others... Yes. ...maybe in dilemmas and under pressure to go and get help or to tell loved ones that they're going to die and so on and so forth. I want to help those people to navigate that... But when I finish this conversation with you, I will be, um, go, you know, I'm not in the office today. I'll be going back to doing my, my office work. I'm sitting here at the computer. I'll be back online doing my emails. In an hour's time, I'll be sitting down um, having having a, a cup of tea and a sandwich for a late lunch and maybe reading a book or listening to some nice music and enjoying it. And then tonight with my husband and my son I'll be watching a comedy on television and, and or on the radio, like you know, yes. how I I that news for you and laughing at it. Yes. So so that's what happens. You have your moments and and even um, before Gavin became ill, I would still occasionally cry about the loss of my parents and they're dead many years. Yes. So you never forget There's never a time when you won't cry on some occasions
2: about them. Absolutely, Patricia. I have to leave it there for today. I'm just coming up to news. I'm sorry at two o'clock I I could go on and go on talking to you, but it's been fantastic to have you with us today. And you have. I can assure you this. Go away. Have your cup of tea and your sandwich and enjoy your afternoon and evening. You have helped so many people with this conversation. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Patricia, for joining me. Thank you indeed. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Professor Patricia Casey there uh, talking to me about dealing with grief and we do remember her son Gavin
1: on Late Lunch this afternoon the Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors the Renault Selection used car event is now on if you want to save thousands check out this month's offers including low APR finance two years warranty and roadside assistance terms and conditions apply It's her debut novel, which was one
2: of Margaret Madden's picks on March book club here on late launch. And when Margaret recommends, we all pay attention, don't we? 47 Seconds is a gripping crime novel by Jane Ryan. And she's in studio with me today. Jane, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you you for joining me. Now, there's quite a transition. You are well known for your short stories.
3: Big jump from short story to novel. Huge. For me certainly there was. Could I just before I even start, Jerry, could I say to you a huge thanks to Margaret and a huge thanks to you and this show because you've championed my book. I would have said as An author, the hardest thing was to write the book in my naivety I didn't actually realise the hardest thing is to get it onto the shelves get it into the shops and get it into people's awareness so huge thanks to you Margaret and all the listeners You're so welcome
2: you're so welcome and it's well deserved let me say but we'll we'll come back to that in a minute because that is an interesting discussion but to make the jump it's not just today I'll do a short story and tomorrow here's the novel
3: For sure, for sure. I would have, my mother wrote poetry. Now she was never published but I have stacks of her poetry at home and poetry to me was all about the beauty of the word. The short story is about the beauty of the line if you want to say. I think it's quite difficult. You have to weigh every word for a short story. It's it's quite challenging and I would have written say four or five. I suppose I have about ten short stories now really but they would have taken me quite some time and I would have done it as much as a learning exercise about the craft as actually about the stories. Some of the stories would have been prompted because there's, there's a lot of competitions out there. There's the Fish Anthology, there is the Hennessy New Writing, there is the Sunday Business Post Penguin and I would have put entries into all of them on many occasions, sometimes with success, mostly without success. So for me, short stories was essentially an unsuccessful particular time but I enjoyed writing them immensely and it honed your craft Going to a novel is like, it's so hard to describe. It's almost like kind of making a pot of soup and deciding, right, I'm going for the sixth course dinner in the next kind of go. <laughs> That's a you know? good analogy,
2: uh, a real good one.
3: So it was, it took me a long time. I actually wrote a book. I wrote a draft of a novel. That's really what it was, the first one. And that is under the bed and will never come out. That was very much my apprenticeship. And 47 Seconds is, I suppose it's the result almost of eight years of learning my craft, you know, practising my short stories, uh, failing desperately at poetry. I did a lot of online courses. that just suited me. Um, And I, I built it all towards and a lot of research towards 47 Seconds.
2: If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. I think that's your
4: mantra.
3: That is absolutely. i tell you about a T-shirt now for that. Absolutely. I and, and you get knocked back. I mean, and it's part of it. Every author will tell you, or anybody who publishes anything will tell you, you get more refusals than you ever get acceptances. And I literally had tons for the first book, I innocently sent it out to I don't know how many agents, lost count, and they all came back. And it's funny, in an age of email I hope this isn't too rude, but in an age of email you don't get the PFO, you just get the FO. So <laughs> I was I was rightly stuck, you know I love it. <laughs> and it was it was it was there was a there was a moment, there was a tsunami moment there when I thought as I put the original book under the bed, I said, That's the end of that now. Mm. But Writing has always been an itch with me. It's been a nag. And I decided I would have one more go. I read an awful lot of police procedurals. I read a lot of crime. And I thought, look, if I'm going to hang up the boots, I might as well go out in a blaze of glory and try a police procedural. Because it's one of the toughest things to write. Um, modern crime readers are, you know, they're, they read deeply in the genre. They're quite critical, highly intelligent. They read it in between fiction and non-fiction. And they expect quite a lot of, well, the best way I can describe it is, I hung my story on a skeleton of fact and then I built the fiction onto that. And modern crime readers expect that if they're reading and if they're investing in a detective that he or she will be as true to life as possible. Mm. Be that in their personal life, be that in their life, everything runs parallel and not sequentially, complex character. But also the nature of the policing. They expect it to be absolutely up to the minute and bang on.
2: Well, you've created that character for sure in Garda Bridget Harney and, of course, the villain of the piece as well, Mr Flannery. But you see, you in your DNA have the law You know what I'm getting at? Yeah, I do. And connection to the law as well. So this is all obviously welled out here. But seriously, you have done an awful lot of work, background work as well, uh, to put this uh, between these pages of the covers of this wonderful book. Now, I know you went at this a few times, as you said, and eventually you send it in and Bing, that email comes up. Describe that moment. I was trying to picture it.
3: It is. That is a moment where I was literally, and it's funny, I I was almost expecting kind of, the email came up and it, it pinged onto the screen and I soared. I mean, I physically leapt up off my seat. I was buzzing, zinging. I kind of expected almost like a Shrek moment where it's a man on a horse going here yay, here yay and it comes in in an email and there was the contract. We would like to offer you a contract and a three book deal. And I I literally I mean my whole world was spinning. Everything was happening and everything was possible at that moment. So I have the email <laughs> framed and it's up in the bathroom and I look at it and I'm having a bathroom. Too much it's a
2: great place to put it because you have to go there maybe <laughs> yeah. even several times a day and it just reinforces that with you all well, the it's time. Just joy. Followed by the thrill then, of course, look, we have the bouquet and we've talked about it with Morgan and Book Club last month as well. But to go in and see it, you mentioned the battle you had, to, you know, to get it published and then to get it distributed and out there and sold.
1: You
2: it's know, when you walk into the shop and it's there.
3: The moment it was actually Louisa in Blacker, in Raven Books and Black Rock, and she tweeted and she sent me a text saying, "Come in." She had said to Pullbeg, "I want it before anybody. I want whatever kind of proofs, whatever. Come in because I want to show it to her." And she put up uh, a picture of. She said, "Your firstborn is in the shop." And I, I, I all, I all but ran. No, I drove because I'm lazy. But I all but ran down to Black Rock from Dallery. And the first moment I held it, actually picked up the book, and you can feel the weight and the heft of the paper. You can feel the stock. It just, and you put your hand across the front cover and you can feel 47 seconds it's slightly raised that was a huge moment for me I mean that was literally I I, I couldn't it's hard to put in words I'm a writer it's hard to put in words but it was like holding it you know only my third child I have two boys it was my third child that moment and it just and every time I go into a bookshop and I touch it it's like it's heaven Mm. and it's
2: the first of three as you said there with the deal and the little uh, inscription on the cover is nice as well isn't it crime fiction has a new voice and it's a Strong one, gritty and addictive, fans of Jane Casey and Joe Spain will devour it. Margaret Madden signed that for you. The very one. L- lovely endorsement.
3: Lovely. It was, and it was it th- that moment when I saw it. And remember, see, I didn't actually, Poolebeck hadn't told me, Margaret, Margaret and I hadn't met at that point. So I didn't know what the front tag was going to be or who or what or if there was going to be a tag. So the first time I saw that was actually in the shop. So it was just, I mean, it was It was a very, very emotional moment for me. Louisa remembers it saying it was genuinely moving and kind of laughs at me. But I was nearly in tears because it, it's, you get, you write the book and you've put such blood, sweat and tears as you should rightly into the book, which you do. And then you get a contract after trying and trying. And then the book is published And you think, it's done, it's in the world, you know, let it go forth. But it doesn't go forth because Mm. there's so many other books going forth. And by Margaret giving me that tag, by her reading a kind of a a digital proof, an early digital proof, going through all the mistakes and all the bits, by her doing that, it just, it, it elevated the book. And then you took it, took it onto the show and just people now notice it. And it's it's incredible. It's like to champion a writer and I'm not I'm, I'm not in the first flush of youth. So to, to, to champion this old Dolly and her book is just exquisite. Oh,
2: my Thrilled. God, don't be putting yourself <laughs> down like that. I have to look in the mirror myself every morning. I think I'm still bloody young. Give yourself a break there, young one, will you? Oh, no. Come on. And listen, we love that's it. We love to champion people like you because that's that's what this is about, you know what I mean? Encouraging others, you know, there are possibilities there no matter what stage in life you're at. And my God, you've had an interesting career, you know, accountancy, technology around the the, the millennium year and all flying for you. But in a way, didn't work really force your hand on the writing?
3: It sure did. About eight years ago, um I was kind of I was in a situation where um I was on maternity leave and I was made redundant. And it was a very challenging time for me. So I I was I, I became redundant at that point and I was fighting it in the EAT for about two years. And during that period I found it difficult to sleep. I, I would wake up at night, I didn't want to wake my husband, I didn't want to wake the kids. So I would go downstairs and I would write. Now definitely the writing from that particular time was from the heat oppressed brain no
1: it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work, you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.
4: Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's
3: plushcare.com weight loss. Question about that. But I did start characters that I wanted to maybe bring into books. I did write, scratched out a few little short stories and it reconnected me to writing when i say reconnected i had enjoyed writing in school and i had enjoyed writing in kind of late teens early 20s but i hadn't written for about 20 years mm. uh, i hadn't written a word so this was almost like a door opening for me and it was forced because i had worked um between accountancy and between technology for about 20 years and i kind of saw myself always doing that i saw myself always in the corporate arena and always kind of going up and not going down or to the side so this was a shock to me and Writing helped me reconnect enormously. Also, there was like a paradigm shift because I thought, right, I'm really enjoying this. I'm going to try and tap this vein and actually get something published. So I started that particular route and then I took a job with my husband and I now work with him part-time. I may be in, on the glamorous radio show today, but I'll be doing my invoicing <laughs> on Monday. But So it, it kind yeah. of made my life shift as well. So it, it has added enormously to my quality of life.
2: You mentioned EAT. I better tell them what that is. That's the Equality Appeals Tribunal. And yes, I know it is, that and it's not easy for anybody, I'm sure, to go through a situation like that uh, and plays on the mind. But look, at that. writing and your characters and everything in a funny type of way yeah. probably took you through that. That, that period in your life. So you've got a three-boot deal, is it now? Yes. yes. What about, is two in the pipeline or finished two, or started? Two, or? two is,
3: is kind of, I would say two, the first draft of two is done, which is a bit like kind of putting the mud from the stream onto the kitchen floor. It's very unmoulded as of yet. But two is is ready to go. Three, I have an idea. I have a a, a shaping of three, but that's that's pretty much where it is now. But two is needs to nice work.
2: And are you, are you uh, corralled by uh, deadlines with the other two now?
3: Hugely, And I've never worked to a deadline before. So this is a bit of a shocker when Paul from Boobag was texting me saying, where are you now with the book? You know, don't be kind of jollying yourself at bookstores around the country. Get down and start working. So I thought that was kind of amusing. But I had, I had never worked to a deadline. I mean, you know, I would say... St- in a way, forty seven seconds took me nearly eight years to write. The first four or five years were on this other book which never went anywhere and won't, and then it was research and then it was this. Having said that, book two is in the is about Bridget Harney. So therefore I have a lot of her world built and I have a lot of her characters built. Okay. So it is it is a series
2: so you'll follow on. It's a follow on from this one in a way. That's great that you can build on and obviously you have a, a great ideas to build on as well and, and take it beyond that. So now you don't have the, <laughs> the freedom of all those weeks, months and years to do this. It concentrates the mind I'm sure.
3: It does. I mean you're very distilled in your time now. Because, or one is I am because I would write. I wouldn't have been as disciplined at all initially when I was writing 47 seconds because I didn't have to be in a lot of ways. I'd finish work. I'd collect the children. I'd write a little bit at night whatever now I have a a daily target for word count now it's not all gold in fact it surely isn't all gold but I would do anything to from two to five hundred words every day some of it I can use some of it I can't actually lots of it I can't but I still have to have that target and then I can say tick I've done that and it is the kind of grinding it out it is the focusing your mind making sure that you've done a good outline that it's adaptable that your plot is clear that you know I tend to write with a lot of threads and I weave them, then I break them, then I weave them again. And that's my idea of of, of a good story. And that takes time. And Mm. you have to make sure that you can bring the reader along with you. And again, so my outline will be extremely important. It just takes a lot of time to do that. And sometimes I prefer not to. Sometimes I just prefer to sit down and write and write. But then you meander and it's a bit pointless, you know. (laughs) So I have to focus now. The success
2: of this debut and and the publicity it's getting and you're doing the rounds i know are, are, are on that at the moment is is a great philip as well and a great foundation to build on because people will eagerly await your second now
3: i truly hope so it's fantastic i mean it's great to have her world built and she is very much in this book she is in the docb the drugs and organized crime bureau in dublin and it's great to have that world built and that world itself is ever expanding it's kind of you you know organised crime never changes I yes. mean, it, it grows it expands I shouldn't say it never changes it's constantly changing that's what I meant to say and Bridget's world will do that with her and she she herself has a lot of things to go through I mean she's a tough prickly kind of character she's sort of her own worst enemy but she's a good heart Yeah. and you know if you can get past the initial kind of in her friendships and her relationships if people can get past the outer kind of cactus you know she's warm and squishy inside
2: where did you come up with the arm and the pig carcass?
3: <laughs> that is, and it's exclusive to this show, a couple of years ago, um, I met, and it's not based on this detective, but I met a very nice detective, a, a young woman who came to my door, knocked on my door and said, can I come in and have a chat with you? And I said, absolutely. Showed me identification. I was a little bit surprised. I do live at the end of, there is a police station at the end of my road, but I was a little bit surprised. I'd come in, sit down, so we were having a chat. And we had had some work done in the house and a skip had been taken from our laneway. And somewhere in my area, in Dunleary, a number of skips had been taken. They had been brought over to the main area. As they were filing out, an arm appeared.
2: I remember that story.
3: An actual arm appeared.
2: So that was the inspiration. That was
3: the catalyst. That was the catalyst. Good
2: woman yourself. The Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I do
3: remember that at the yeah. time.
2: There was a big hurrah about it. Where yeah. did this come from and whose is it? There you have it. You've heard it today on late lunch in 47 seconds where it came from. Would you like a signed copy of this wonderful lady's book? It's 47 seconds by Jane Ryan. It's a cracker. Margaret Madden has given it the imprimatur. Here's my question if you'd like a signed copy of the book. How many seconds short of a minute is 47? How many seconds short of a minute is 47? It's very difficult. You'll have to get the old calculators out. Text your answers. WhatsApp them. WhatsApp them, please. 086-1800-658. Text as well. And we'll pick somebody for the brilliant book before the end of the show. You won't put it down. I promise you when you get it. So, back to the grindstone. It's not a grindstone, is it? You're happy, aren't you? It's
3: my touchstone. I yes,
2: it, it, I it is, it. of love course. You've found, you've found what's always been there for you in your life. You really have, Jane. And circumstances just shows you. It's a great story. It really is. Thank I wish you well with the book. I thank you for coming here today. Thank and we look forward to the second one.
3: Thank you so much, Jerry. You're welcome
2: Thank back you. when that arrives. For the moment, 47 seconds. Yes, the order with me today, Jane Ryan. Thanks a million. Happy birthday to you. God. Happy birthday to you. I'm a day late singing that.
0: Jerry, that was the reason why I didn't tell you yesterday. <laughs> well, I'm going to say, you're,
2: I know your sister Martina listens to us <laughs> intently. Martina, you should have gotten to me yesterday. I had her warned. She's... I'm I heard that she was um, gagged. (laughs) Is that true?
0: I had her threatened. Don't tell anyone, Louise.
2: Happy birthday, Er. Louise. You. It was her birthday yesterday, and isn't she looking great for fifty-four?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I flip and feel it now, Jerry. Thank you.
2: <laughs> I'm doing her a decade, to be honest. You shouldn't I'm... say a lady's age. I, I know I shouldn't say that, but you listen. Call me
0: a lady. Oh, thank you.
2: Yes, you are, of course. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we had a little bun today, hadn't we? We did. We, thank we had you, Jerry. A belated, I, Louise loves. Tell them what you love.
0: I love jam donuts.
2: <laughs> I went to McCluskey's this morning, they were just coming in hot on the tray and we had one each with a cup of tea and another little thing as well. Anyway, uh happy birthday Thank to you. you. And, and I
0: have to say there was method to my madness Why? because well you see Today I've been getting, you know, yourself knows and the station knows. So I've been getting all the happy birthdays today. So <laughs> I've eked my birthday over two days. So this year I've had two days of birthday. Well, I
2: can tell you it's ingrained now for the future. Tough luck. You ain't going to get by us again, young you called woman.
0: called a few choice names oh, today sure. as
2: well,
5: oh, didn't
0: she
2: I? was, she was, she was, she was. And rightly so as well. Anyway, belated happy birthday Thank to you. you. Enjoy. Now, did you see the story? I just wanted to mention this, uh, about a lady called Simone Burns. You might know who she is, but she's originally from Belfast and she goes by an Irish name as well, I think O'Brien. But she was convicted, was it yesterday, Louise, in London, I of saw that, um, yeah. an air rage offence on the way home from India. Now, she's a brilliant uh, person and she's done great work all over the world. But she had a few drinks on an air in India flight and Tree. she. Three, but she got really abusive with the staff and the judge jailed her she's been jailed hasn't she she's got a jail term so she has she, has. And, um, she like was six
0: months wasn't it yeah
2: I think she's going to do at least that now uh, but she was very abusive and it was f- quite frightening I'm sure
0: yeah. she spat in their faces she did and
2: called them shocking names and everything and I'm sorry Simone you have to you can't go on doing things like this and the judge was absolutely right you're going to pay with time now for this and you really have learned your lesson and your reputation dear is in tatters despite all the good work you did over the years and it'll take a while uh, to regain that you have a view on this haven't you about people flying and alcohol
0: yeah I, I just think it's such a confined space and I mean you, you scare so many people if you know like that lady was shouting and roaring and everything And there's children on board or, you know, other people Mm. that are scared. I don't think either one drink on the plane or none at all. And I think as well, if you're drinking in the airport ahead of it and, you know, some people drink a lot in the airport while they're waiting for flights. I think you should be breathalyzed going on the flight. Do you? Yeah. Now, not like, oh, my God, if you have one drink, you're not allowed. But like, if you are over a certain and you are clearly drunk, you shouldn't be allowed on the plane to start with.
2: Because there's going to be problems. Or there may be problems. There may be. Now,
0: chances are you'll just get on and fall asleep. Yeah. But, you know, air rage is a thing. that interesting.
2: Oh, listen. And people, a lot of people are nervous flying anyway. Mm. And if you have somebody making a scene or or anything like that, it's certainly worse. It's an interesting point you make. You know, you can't drive a car. Yeah. And, you know, you're on a. 20,000 feet up in the air. Yeah, well,
0: like, if you're if you're causing a scene in a pub or somewhere, you can be thrown out. I mean, you can't get thrown out of an airplane.
2: Yeah, well, they can divert it somewhere and it upsets the whole journey for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a real pain in the neck for people. So you have a feeling. What do you think about that, folks? That I'm not trying to
0: be like, you know, I, mm-hmm. I know I have a drink on a plane or whatever, but I just don't think it should. I think there should be something brought in to
2: stop it. Do you know what I saw happening uh, a couple of years back? I was collecting my son from the airport and I watched uh, a checkpoint just down from the... Uh, where you collect your cars in the airport at the ca- one of the car parks in the airport itself and going out the road from the airport towards the M1 there, the big roundabout. Uh, the Guardi were pulling people in and breathalysing. Oh, you breathalys- that, yeah. They were breathalysing people coming off the flights. So do you know way you could have a few drinks on the way mm. transatlantic or home from Europe or that? Yes, they were breathalising people off flights and it just woke me up to that as well. You know, that you really do. If you're taking drink and you get into a car to drive from the airport, bang, you can be caught as well. But interesting, that, that lady won't, it? I say, cause any more fuss on any plane that she's on from here on in. I wouldn't think so, to be honest with you. But uh, my God Almighty, I can only imagine the fear that was in people reading about it anyway. Uh, that's
0: it. And it, was it a four o'clock in the morning flight or something? So yeah, it's very early uh, too. Yeah,
2: and a long flight as Get well. Served. Absolutely. Just want to mention something that's coming up the weekend. Our Lady of Lourdes Church in Drahana is celebrating its 60th year. It's 60 years since the iconic church was built. And they're having a big concert in the church this Sunday evening featuring Liam Lawton, Leah Barnville, the soprano and the Lord's Youth Choir. Tickets will be available uh, at the sacristy up until then and on the door at the night. Seven o'clock, Our Lady of Lords Church celebrating 60 years this very Sunday. Let's head in towards our 2.30 break on Late Lunch. Hard to believe it's almost two years ago since my next guest was in studio here with me on Late Lunch. It was the end of an era, we believed, at that stage. Have you ever been to the Forge at Carnaross? I was. Oh, my God, I was only the once, but I'll never forget it. But it has a huge following, and it was built up over 18 years by Porrick and Irene White. Porrick was with me a couple of years ago to tell me his story and he's back with me today for an update. And it is great to see you again. You're looking well. Thanks very much, Sherry. Great to see you. Thanks for having me in. When you were here last time, um, probably it's fair to say you had no intention of leaving the forge or getting out of the the day-to-day stuff there. Remind us, what happened to you?
5: Yeah, back um, last last February, two years, um, I had just a bad... About a health, I don't like to dwell on it too much. To be quite honest with you, um, I was in the right place at the right time, and I survived from it. I had clots in my lungs, and, and my heart stopped. I was in the hospital when it happened. So, um, speaking to doctors um, after that, they, they the consultants decided they said stress was the thing that that, that kind of triggered a whole lot. So, um, they asked me what I worked at, and they said probably your your your, your work and, and just a build up of, of of work and pressures of work. Um, it didn't didn't react with my body too well so that's probably what happened so they they advised me to 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 try and make changes in 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 my career and um and that i did um we we put the forge up for sale and um, the market the market didn't react too well to it although in in the heel of the hunt it, it did react but we had made a decision and we'd shaken hands with with the the person that's in it now uh, Raymond mcardle so um yeah, uh, we shaken hands on that the deal was done so I, I wasn't going to I wasn't going to renege on that particular deal so.
2: Okay, so you didn't manage to sell it but you Raymond took a lease from me on the place and he's been running it since last year
5: Last June Raymond moved in last June so we did with his team and um we've been he's been in and and been very very successful. He's just taken his time. He's trying to capitalize on what we had what we had already done over over the 18 years. Um, I don't know whether Many people know Raymond MacArthur. He, he's very well known. So he is actually as, as a chef and um, his flamboyant food and his modern style of food. But he didn't come in with that attitude. He come in with the attitude of a very, very modest attitude, actually, to, to, to try and, as I said, capitalise on, on what we had built over 18 years, and he came in. He came in with that with that ethos, and and he's taken it forward and working really, really well for him.
2: I I, I I've read a couple of reviews nationally of the place since he came in as well, and I have to say he's getting the thumbs up uh, from the people who've visited, and that is really good news for you and Irene. I have to mention Irene as course, well, your course, wife, yeah, who's yeah. your partner, and with you in the business and everything else in life. To leave it after 18 years, tough.
5: Oh, it wasn't an easy thing to do. No, definitely not an easy thing to do. Um, we 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 toyed with the idea of running ourselves and putting a manager in, and and a lot of different different scenarios were there. We decided to to wholeheartedly sell it first. That was our first decision to try and make a clean break and cut away from it because of what happened. Happened, mm. um, and we had to we had to just try and make a clean break. It didn't work out. Um, so Raymond approached me he made a phone call to me or messaged me on Facebook I think did I sell I had been in touch with him myself and himself and, and another fella John Shark he actually met up in, in Dundalk for, for a meal one night just shooting the breeze and see how we were getting on and um, they knew I had been sick so they were kind of just catching up on that I'd been in college with the two lads mm. um, but uh yeah so we, it was just a catch up after mm. after a period of about 19 years I think uh, um, yeah about 17 years we were having a catch up college friends and a phone call came through then after that Raymond says to me did you sell the place yet I says I didn't he says would you fancy leasing it and I says leasing would be a great thing we could have leased it um, after the first week of, of it going up on the market loads of people were interested in leasing it. and I, I said to Raymond I says it needs to be the right person mm. and he says to me what about me and I as soon as he said it I says, "Yeah." That's great, we will go with that Let's It wasn't
2: that. even a second thought for that mm. one
5: you you still lived beside it the place yeah? oh we still live in yeah yeah we're in the houses the cottages beside it Yeah. <laughs> it's
2: hard looking across thinking I should be going in there today or I built that over eighteen years do you ever have yeah, feelings like that
5: of course you do yes you wouldn't be natural you wouldn't mm. be human if you didn't it was it was our labor of love to build it we we built the forge myself and Irene really built the forge up from nothing it was it was it was very 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 um dilapidated I suppose just it was habitable but but needed an awful lot of work and we did that we did that ourselves we, we didn't go and borrow big money for it or anything we mm. just did it um, and people support us the local people supported us and it was great and it was appreciated our food we were doing and it just went from strength to strength then you know um, but we, it, it, it's not easy it's not easy at the start it wasn't easy now I'm, I'm a little bit more used to it yes. I was helping them last, last year I used to give him a little bit of a hand to, you know put him in the right direction and same with Irene Irene was giving giving him a hand as well because mm. you know you can't you come can't Away from a place, you can't just turn your back on a place after eighteen years. It well, just it, you know. here's the thing: both of you now are going in new directions for yourself. First off, you're teaching. I'm teaching. Just to say, Jerry, just if you don't mind me going back a little bit, the hardest thing about about uh, giving up the forge was um, was not working with Irene. To be quite honest with you, myself and Irene have worked together hand in hand for the last 26 years. And this surprised me and this crept up on me as well, actually, when when we handed over the forge. When we handed over the forge, it it kind of went, it, it, it hit me with a reality check. I went, oh, do you know what? Jesus, I'm not going to be working with Irene anymore. Mm. You know, and that was it. But that's the way it goes, and you get on, but you move yes. on, and we have moved on, new yeah. chapters. So you're teaching. Where are you teaching? I'm teaching down in Cavan Institute on Cathedral Road in in, in Cavan. Um, I was approached. I was approached by Cavan Institute um, last year. Our a job advertisement came up, and I decided I'd, I'd submit a CV. Now, as I said, the last interview I did was with you. <laughs> Um, I, I never had done an interview before, been self-employed for 18 years um, and then head chef head chef in Jersey, Channel Islands for, for eight years previous to that. Um, so I, I hadn't much experience and I thought to myself, oh, I'll put in the CV, but will anything come back from it? But it was for a commis chef apprenticeship programme. So as we know, um, we're in dire straits for chefs in Ireland. Um, the commis chef apprenticeship programme, when I, when I read into it, what it was about, I thought to myself, I can fit into this straight away. You know, it will it will suit me down to the ground. I've been doing it for years in the forge, anyway. I've always had a commie chef in the forge.
2: So you've been teaching all those I've years. Been,
5: all those years I've been teaching. There's always been somebody young in in my in my kitchen mm. being taught how to cook. Offici- unofficially, mm. they've been taught how to cook. But true, true, my need for for young chefs, and th- that stood the test of time, to be quite honest with you. Because in those period, in that period of that eighteen year period, I had one particular commie chef stayed with me for nine years. Another particular commie chef stayed with me for 13 and another one for six years. So when they were coming back from college to me at the weekends, they were getting paid. Mm. And that's what, what the, this commie chef apprenticeship program is all about. It's about students working three days in an industry, two days in college, but getting paid for five days. Mm. So I had that ethos. I had that mindset. Yeah. I knew it worked because your students stayed with you when you paid and paid them and looked after them well. You she know, was so you
2: were the man for the job and you got it anyway. You applied, did your I, interview and
5: away the, you go. The interview, yeah, it was great. Great experience of an interview. And then um, submitted the application first, then the interview process, um, which was great. Um, and it happened very, very quickly. I think I did the interview on the Wednesday and I found out on the Wednesday evening that I got the job and when do I start? You start next Monday. And then when I have I students? You have students the following Monday. So here we go, you're a teacher, there you go. <laughs> and, and I took... Tucked to it like a duck to water. Thank God, and um, I enjoyed it. Now it, it came with its pressure, surely, mm. but a different type of pressure, mm. a different type of timing of hours of work. It was just, it, it was amazing, really. Do you mm. know, a different family life. It just opened so many doors and so many windows, and the whole thing seemed much brighter. You know, it, mm. it was great. But Cavan Institute, they're they're a great, they're a great institution. They they. They really do, it's, it's very, very homely down there. They encourage you along the way. They say, listen, if you're not sure, there's great, great support in it, which is really, which is really, really good. And the whole, that, that's from the whole hospitality sector. They do professional cookery down there. They do uh, hotel, hotel traineeship. Um, and then they have the Commie Chef Apprenticeship Programme as well. So it's like, it really is, the, the, the catering sec- section down there is really, really good. And just a, a quick mention, or maybe a quick plug if I could, they have an open day tomorrow which is great they're great for open days so students can go in have a look see what the courses that are held Um, it's on from 10 to 4 tomorrow so anyone interested check that one out we're
2: going to head to a short break Porik staying with us on late lunch back in a couple of moments Porrick White formerly of the Forge now of Cavan Institute with me on Late Lunch today for a catch up listen to this park you'll enjoy this Maria Flynn from Bally McKenna farm hello Maria she's on the road listening to Late Lunch on LMFM and she's just called in to Karen to say she's on her way back you won't believe this from delivering purple potatoes to Ray McArdle at the Forge restaurant in Carnaross
5: good girl Maria and i believe every bit of that because Ray has Ray has the very he's the very same ethos as myself and um, Supporting local, supporting yes. local, and even just last Friday, um, I was, I was. Uh bringing a couple of the Erasmus students, collecting a couple of the Erasmus students and bringing them back for dinner to our house. And, and I, I pulled up on the side of the road and I said, lads, just give me five minutes here. And I went into one of my neighbours, grabbed a black bag off them and I picked a big bag of, of wild garlic. So Ray was delighted. So it's all about local, all about oh, seasoning. Yeah. And, and I'll uh, tell
2: you, Maria, uh, Bally McKenny fan, what can I say about it? They're terrific people down there. They're innovative and they're bringing agriculture and vegetable growing back to what it was one day here. And I, I every success she gets down there, she... Hurley deserves let's come back to you and irene uh what's Irene after because you said that was the biggest challenge for you not to be working with your wife so closely and yeah. what's she doing
5: as I said it yeah it was it crept up on me and I something I hadn't seen but irene Irene herself has gone back to college um she's back uh, she's back studying again and she's doing a um, a cares a care care for the elderly course and loving it. So if anyone, anyone that knows Irene that ever came across her in the restaurant and I came across her in the restaurant, Irene, she's a great caring person. Yes. She's a really caring person. Great so
2: front of house yeah, woman. Yeah. She has it all for She has a warmth about her. She's and you know, a about she's about going to something now and going to do something that she's perfectly suited yeah. to as well. Yeah. And I wish Irene well today. Uh, I'm sure she'll, she'll be She'll this, be great. Or it, she may yeah, be listening yeah. in at the moment. Any of your children, you have Emily, Katie and Paddy. Any of them going to follow in your footsteps in,
5: in the world of food? Um, they they'll say no, um, but they can't they can't have be been rummaging around the kitchen for eighteen years and not picked up a few mm. of the little traits that that their dad and mam and mam have. Um, Emily was doing a little bit in the restaurant, helping out front of house. She worked in the kitchen with me, um, while I was there, um. She has something coming up now as well. I better not say too much about it because it's a little competition she's doing. So I don't want to give too much away. on And it on is it. food related. It is food I related. Know this a, yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. We're not going. But she is. I don't want to compromise it for no, her. But, I know. But, uh, and she'll do well. She has yeah. a great palate. Uh, Katie. Katie's. Uh, Emily, I must just mention Emily as well. She's great at her sport. She plays. She plays in goals for the Maid Miners um, and has played with them since she was the age of fourteen. Um, she loves the rugby. She plays with Northeast. She's tra- trials with Leinster. Mm. Katie's a great little footballer, footballer as well. That's her second it. girl, yeah. And she's that's in Eureka. Isn't she's she in Eureka. Moment, yeah. yeah. She's first year in Eureka. She loves her basketball. Um, really, really sports orientated. It's great mm. to see it. They're out and about. Great friends. And once you're doing sports, you'll have great friends. You'll always yes. have great friends. Paddy, once there's a ball at his foot, he's happy. <laughs> yeah, well, he's only ten at the minute. Yeah. You never know where he goes. Come back to this
2: thing you mentioned there because it is an issue in Ireland. The hospitality sector and staffing of it and especially getting chefs. And you are now uh, teaching commie chefs at this point in time. And you have a great response to your course. It's full all of the time. Boys and girls, good
5: mix. Boys and girls, a great mix, actually. The, the the Commie Chef Apprenticeship Programme has been rolled out nationally. Um, so all over Ireland. It's been piloted for two years now um, and working really, really well. Great response. I have actually, actually, Cavan Institute have... Uh, have the most amount of of females on on the course nationally. Great. We have we have six females on our on our course, which is great. Which is great to have. It's a good mix and a good balance. A good balance. So the course itself, it's it really is. It's a course that it had to happen. It had to happen because the numbers of chefs that are coming coming through, they're not coming through quick enough. They're not coming through often enough. So. Um, the programme that's written here now is a very, very practically minded um,
2: mm, and and they're not coming through prepared, you'd have to correct. probably say either. And that's correct, what yeah. what you're doing. You're shaping these girls and guys as well. Is it still a business? You know, you spent eighteen years and more. you mentioned where are we in Jersey. I was yeah, in I mean, Jersey prior okay, to that, yeah. You gen, spent the greater part yeah. of your working life in a kitchen, working hard. You know what I mean? All that entails. Do you still say today to young people it's a career well worth considering?
5: Of course it is there 's no doubt about it it 's a career well worth considering it, where it can take you it can take you worldwide. Do you know you can travel as been mm. uh, when, when you 're a chef do you know if you 're a chef you 're a chef you have that passion you have that drive in you it 's late long hours late nights that doesn 't matter if if you want to if you get driven by presentation of food or tastes and flavors and 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 local produce and Getting a good camaraderie with team, with yes. team, it, it it comes across really, really well in the chef in the chef's world. And um, as I said, if you're a chef, you're a chef. It's in you. Mm. It's, it's 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 something in your blood. It's something and in your you
2: blood. certainly have it in your blood all these years. Look, thanks for dropping in today for the catch thanks up. I want much, to Sherry. wish Ray Mcardle uh, continued success and building on the great reputation uh, that the forge has in Carnaross. Good luck to you in cabinet. Thanks, Cabin for, thanks very much, and to Sherry. And Irene as
5: well. Yeah. Ray is open from Wednesday to Sunday so he is of <laughs> course uh, Wednesday to Sunday he's doing a little bit of later on a Sunday up to, up to, until, until 4 o'clock on a Sunday or past it even if, if uh, Check if, if him out like. that's what yeah. he says. Well worth a visit Well, well worth a visit Jerry.
2: Right see you again Paul Thank right. you. Thanks for dropping in to us Let- Mickey Timmons is getting a copy of Jane Ryan's book uh, 47 seconds the answer was 13 seconds yes that's the difference between 47 seconds and a minute Thanks indeed Mickey and to everyone who sent us messages on that one Now if you're looking for something to do, why not enjoy a night of comedy with St Mary's Musical Society as they present Crazy for You at the Solstice Arts Centre from Wednesday next the 10th until Saturday the 13th of April each evening at 8 o'clock. The Matinee show is Sunday the 14th at 6. It's a musical comedy. It tells the story of Bobby Child, a well-to-do 1930s playboy whose dream in life is to dance on Broadway. Isn't it, everybody's? For ticket details, check out solsticeartcentre.ie nice one coming up there at the solstice next week Louise a word of caution for parents hosting parties or birthday parties
0: Yeah Jerry. I mean the mum contacted us with um, quite an alarming story really she had bought her children um, some helium balloons you know the lovely yes, balloons everybody yes. loves to get um, and she, they were all in our house anyway and she kind of noticed her four year old had gone playing in the kitchen and he'd gone very quiet so she said the next thing four year old just comes into the sitting room eyed-wise op- eyed open and gasping at his throat pulling oh. um, the the string from the balloon had got wrapped around his throat and he couldn't and the fi- her five-year-old son was was trying to get it tug, tug at it to loosen it and it was just getting tighter so she had to she went and got a knife and thankfully was able to, just to nick take it, it off mm. for any major damage but he still has like a ligature mm. red mark around his neck so she's just warning mums maybe or and dads Maybe just cut the string or don't leave them super, yes. you know, alone. I actually with them. saw
2: them at Avis. You know what they have? Some of them have a weight on the bottom of them as well, you know, to, to keep width. the helium just yeah. from, from going off. So like you could imagine if a child got a string wrapped around its neck that with the, the holding weight, I can see how hmm. that could tighten up. There'd be panic with the child as well. A word of caution. You can never be too careful. There are so many dangers around a home even. And like a, a, a happy occasion, like a party.
0: Very frightening. that Isn't it can it, happen just yeah, in, so within minutes.
2: Just be wary: the helium balloons and the strings and the weights and smallies and uh, strings getting wrapped around their necks. Be careful. Always be careful. And thank you indeed for getting in touch with us, uh, just to remind everybody on that one. There. What did you? Say? We were talking about the veggie burger the other day, and uh, oh, can't the, say the that ve- anymore. The veggie whopper.
0: Why? Can't say that anymore. There has been a seemingly a vote in the EU, and you cannot say veggie burger anymore well it has to go to a full vote but um, they those names kind of are you know synonymous with meat so, so they have to find their own all the veggies have to find their burger own burger is meat burger sausage uh, steak a scallop they mm. can't be attributed to any vegan
2: to anything that's vegan products. so will we have uh, mm-hmm. what will we call tofu
0: them? triangles <laughs> <laughs> or losages. <laughs> Instead Ve- of sausages,
2: veggie spheres. Then we could like be talking them. veggie spheres. The, the the space people could be onto us. No, that's not correct either. Because sphere means something else. What veggie discs? Veggie veggie. I don't know what veggie bites. Them. Anyway, whatever rocks your clock. Good luck to you. <laughs> I
0: imagine you can't. No, can't, no longer bur- burgers. Oh, this
2: world of ours hasn't it gone crazy? Anyway, you having a bet on the national? Yes. Are you? Yes, I definitely Any
0: tips? am. Um, no, well, my sister reckons Valsor Lido. My sister Martina. Martina. She reckons, which is I think sixty-six to one at the minute. Valsor
2: Lido is that Lido, Lido, L-I-D-O. Or Lido Rachel Blackmore, a, a lady on board there. I'd be the That's first to Get any to win. money on that horse? Any money? I like uh, the name Joe Farrell.
0: What's the name? Joe Farrell, isn't it? Is it sixteen to one? I just like the name. Yeah, it's
2: just, it's like the name of a person. Of course, our own Tiger Roll locally, who won it last year from County Mead, Gordon Elliott. By God, he's at some start today. The first two winners at Aintree. Tiger Roll is the favourite to win it again this year, two in a row. It has happened before. Lakeview, where's Lakeview there? I'm looking Lakeview Lad. That's my Lakeview Lad. We're going with it. Thanks to Brian. Brian is the, my tipster. Lakeview Lad is the one for us. Anyway, what are we talking about, myself and Louise? Are we we not a clue? No, we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> so, Louise, you wanted to go back to the veggie stuff. You've you had an update, have you? There's more to talk about on the veggie front.
0: Well, I don't know whether it's an update, but we've had people um, texting in yeah. um, about, you know, suggestions, what you'd call them. So, veggie muffins, veggie pancakes. Uh, veggie bites (laughs) they're out there and they're they're coming up with good suggestions
2: veggie patties I'm sure somebody else can say as well this is just for names is it that you're talking about yes
0: because we can't well according to the EU we may no longer be able to call veggie burgers veggie burgers Okay. or veggie steaks or anything like that to do with meat
2: Anyway, I think I'll stick to what they're normally called, burgers, and and enjoy them. Now, while you're talking about that, and, and related to it is... Did you see this story today from um, I don't know which newspaper it's now? I, th- I actually think it's from the journal.ie where green schools have come under fire from the Irish Farmers Association over their meatless Monday teaching pack. Did, did you see this one?
0: Yes, this is um, it's it's quite a kind of a, an ongoing thing at the minute on Tashka um, have got this pack together for schools mm. to I suppose encourage teachers to try and get students to eat less uh, meat. So the IFA have just come out against this and said, you know, it's beyond the remit of the Antashka, and it's not consistent with dietary advice given by the Department of Health. They're saying, but the um, uh, the 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 Antashka have said, well, we're not apologising for trying to stay green like. Mm. So um, yeah, so it's it's ongoing rumbling at the minute. um, So, I don't know, would you encourage maybe meatless I I, I, first? Yeah,
2: well, I think, look, we know how important the agriculture industry is to Ireland and the meat and the dairy industry is very important to our economy. There's 120,000 farmers out there. I know, and a lot of jobs and Mm. it's it's a bedrock of what we do in the country. But at the end of the day, we know from a health perspective as well, that, you know what I mean, eating a little less, uh, meat, a little less red meat, is no harm either. You know what I mean? Uh, and, you know, to encourage more uh, people to have maybe maybe one day a week, it's not much, is it? To expect one day that you don't have. I have that in my head from when I was a child. You know, the way you had to have mm. either meat or chicken or fish or something along with your veg and potatoes yeah. on the plate. It, it goes back, you know. Do you like that as well? Is that yeah. your training Yeah, at without
0: all? if you don't have that on your plate it's not like a a meal. Yeah. I don't know why, but you just think there's something missing.
2: Yes. Yes, and I think that's where it comes from. It's in our psyche, it goes back and it stays with us. Of course, there'll be a bit of frory like this. I suppose they would be afraid it would take legs and then we'd suddenly have a meatless Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday <laughs> and it, it might uh, grow a bit. But look it, it's no harm. Everything in moderation. Space it out, leave it out a day or two. What about it? But anyway, there's a bit of a kick about this uh, from the IFA towards the green schools. Anyway, that's a lot on Late Lunch for another week. Thank you so much for your company right through the week every day. Thanks to all the guests who came to us, to all we've talked to. Thank you so much for joining us each afternoon. Your company is just vital. It's so important to us. We really appreciate you listening in every single day. Big thank you to my birthday girl, producer, Miss Louise Walsh. She'll have to celebrate in the double now after not telling us yesterday. You better go and do it all again this evening,
0: will you? I think I'll just leave now.
2: No, sure, why not? Away <laughs> you go. Away you go. You're entitled to it. Put your Don't feet up. The and uh, Eddie's coming next with The Drive. We are back with a brand new week of late lunch from Monday. Do join us then and today it's goodbye in the company of abba i hope your horse takes it all in the national tomorrow FM Podcasts brought to you with Carrickmacross Credit Union getting hitched Carrickmacross Credit Union likes to say I do when financing your wedding loan O'Neill Street
1: Carrickmacross or carrickmacrosscu.ie